Hello and welcome to Brits on Flix, your monthly movie podcast where we dissect, delivery and discuss a movie at random that we have chosen the previous month. This month the movie is The Neon Demon. Brian, this was your choice. I know this is a first watch for both of us, so why don't you talk a little bit about, say, the director or how you heard about this movie? Well, yeah, I mean... Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, as I believe it's actually pronounced. I think the, fir- the first film I saw of his was Bronson, and I, th- I thought it was good, I thought it was a very good film, but I kind of felt like a lot of the people who, had, who were really hyping it up mm. had never seen Chopper, uh, because I, 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 I kid you not, it's the same film, practically. It's it's mm. pra- it's practically the same film. Um, I, I do think Chopper is better, though. I, I I will admit that Tom Hardy's performance in in that is really great. Um, and yeah, you know this 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 director already had quite a bit of critical acclaim from like the kind of art house mm-hmm. scene with 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 his Pusher trilogy. Uh, and yeah, and then along came Drive. You know, he had Valhalla Rising as well in between. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't really do much, I don't think. I don't, I don't think, you know, it didn't blow that many people. I think, I think critics did actually like that film. Yeah, it's just one of those directors where for, for quite a few years his name kept popping up. He wasn't like yeah. Big League. He wasn't, you know, your Nolans or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, Drive came out. And boom, it's like like within the space of that one film, he was suddenly big league. He was suddenly, you know, <laughs> yeah. every, every, everyone was talking about him. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I didn't actually see Drive until well after the fact. And I think, right. I think uh, uh, the main reason for that was <clears throat> all this hype that had come out because of it. You know? yeah. um, and eventually I, I, I picked it up on DVD three pounds from Asda um, and you know I thought three quid less than the price for rental go on and you know what I, 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 I liked it a fair bit I still thought it was overrated um, I have seen it again recently mm-hmm. and it and it grew on me a lot in that second watch um, and, and I, I think I see more now what people raved about that film for and I, and I think yeah. I probably went into it the first time with my defences up saying no I'm not going to like this film because everybody yeah. says how awesome it is I think once all that's gone, you know, gone to the wayside and you go in you watch it no judgments it, it, yeah I let it wash over me and, and I do think it's a very very good film um, mm. but it's a film that Refn is I think desperately trying to escape um, mm. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this film called uh, My Life, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. It's a documentary film by his wife. Yeah. And it was shot during the making of Only God Forgives, which was the next film after Drive. Mm. And you can tell, you know, I mean, I mean, they say it right openly in the film. You see Nicholas Winding Refn talking about it there, just his insecurities after Drive, just that he didn't want to be pigeonholed. He, he was hoping... He didn't want people to think that with Only God Forgives they were going to get Drive 2. So, so he literally made a film 
that couldn't have been, you know, further apart from it. And, and I think as a result, um, it, it was quite unsuccessful. I, th I think he was trying too hard to distance himself mm -hmm. so, to, so that he wouldn't become pigeonholed. But I do think that within that film are the seeds for this film that we're reviewing tonight. Right. Um, okay. I feel like in that film, he found, I guess, his, his voice, although it, it wasn't particularly clear in Only God mm -hmm. Forgives. I feel like with this film, it is a lot clearer, but whether or not it is more pretentious, we shall discuss, I guess, during this review. So, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I came to this hearing very mixed thoughts and obviously with, with all those feelings I've just described about his body of work so far you can imagine I wasn't necessarily going into the neon demon with excited fervor you know I, mm. I, I, I was like this could this could yeah it could be hit and miss really it could go either way um, but uh, yeah I've heard a lot of good stuff about it and a lot of bad stuff about it so I think I think I think generally it shows that this guy Refn is somebody who divides people, um, mm. so. and that's that's a good thing. Um, my mm. story is similar to yours. Uh, um, Drive was probably the first thing I saw of his. I seen it in the cinema, and I loved it. And it was just as the hype train was starting on it, um, and and I really enjoyed the sort of visuals. I, I like the style. No, sorry, I had seen Bronson first. I'd seen Bronson first, and it kind of struck me because the really weird, surreal moments of actually having Bronson in the makeup and talking to the camera. It was it was a strange movie. It had some distasteful parts on it for me, but other parts I really admired. Um, it's never a movie I've, I've felt compelled to go back to watch a second time. Uh, Drive is one of those movies that I instantly just, yep, I love it. I love everything about it. I love the soundtrack. It kind of, it seemed to kickstart that uh, synthesised soundtrack again. You know, which became prevalent with the years after it. Like almost mm -hmm. all these indie movies had it. Yeah. When Only God Forgives came out, I, I went to the cinema to see it. And like you said, it was a, a polar opposite. It was a movie that kind of reveled in being very, very patient. You know, it was slow, long, drawn-out scenes of not a lot happening. Mm -hmm. But again, I really liked that movie as well. Although that was one that I felt I didn't want to go back and revisit. Mm -hmm. uh, and when The Neon Demon came out, I wanted to get to the cinema to see it, never could, and it kind of passed me by. And I feel like his movies are ideally seen on the big screen because I think you want to block everything else out and just focus on the screen and the sound because if I was watching Only God Forgives in the house, I could easily see myself being distracted, you know, probably more than I should. But in the cinema, I think they're the perfect environment. And I felt like I missed the Neon Demon. I heard, like you, good things, bad things, never quite sure what it was going to be. And thankfully, we picked it last month. It gave me the impetus to actually check it out. Because it is one that I've had sitting going, <coughs> I need to watch that at some point. Yeah. And finally, we get to it. So do you have a, a synopsis that you've borrowed from somebody? <laughs> kind of cobbled together from IMDb with a... A little bit of my own thing added. I mean, it, this is pretty much the synopsis that appears everywhere, to be honest. It's mm. a very, and I think it does highlight just how simplistic at its core this film is. Uh, and, it, and it also does give far too much away. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, like, like I say, this isn't me kind of synopsizing. This is, this is 
what you tend to read in, in all the publicity stuff about it. But um, anyway, so yeah, the Neon Demon. When aspiring model Jessie moves to Los Angeles, her youth and vitality are devoured by a group of beauty-obsessed women who will take any means necessary to get what she has. See, that's, 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 that's the synopsis you find everywhere. What mm. I add is, whether it is lust, obsession, or simple vanity, it is all part of the law of L.A., better known as the Neon Demon. Yeah, but obviously we've not spoken about this at all, so we don't know what each other no. thinks about this movie. No, I think. But I just I've got to say, like, literally, I mean, like, if, if if you tell someone if they've not seen this film before, and you mm. say, like, go on IMDb or go to wherever you know the the studio have put their official little mini synopsis of it, which, which mm -hmm. is that those first few lines, it literally tells you exactly what is going to happen in the film. When aspiring model Jessie moves to Los Angeles, her youth and vitality are devoured by a group of beauty-obsessed women who will take any means necessary to get what she has. Yeah, so right there, they, they literally tell you how this is going to end. Hmm. Um. <laughs> so, so let's just let's get our thoughts out. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Uh... I, I I honestly I sit somewhere in the middle. I I just it's very hard to quantify my feelings on this mm. film because it has so much going for it. You know, beautiful vis visuals, uh, really great performances, really committed performances for that matter, uh, and yeah, just an awful lot of style. A really great soundtrack, <sighs> but. I, d I don't know. I think, I think this word is banded about just a little bit too much. But in this case, I, I do think it is quite, quite apt. I, I, I think it's a bit pretentious. I think it's too pretentious right. for its own good. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this is Refn desperately trying to be Stanley Kubrick. Um, so much so that he references Stanley Kubrick about three times in the film, if, if not more so. Right, okay, well just to, to put my thoughts out there, I think, much like you, a word that's bandied about far too much, but I think it's very apt here as Masterpiece. I absolutely <laughs> love this movie. Okay, From start to beginning. Um, Let's get into it. Th th something about this just got right under mm. my skin and I was mm -hmm. hypnotised by the movie. Mm. Uh, so much so that I watched it twice in two days. And if right. I could have squeezed it in more, I would have. I just, I've been telling lots of people to watch it, knowing that it's going to polarise a lot of people. But, mm -hmm. man, this needs to be seen. This is, is, is a work of art. So... Like the, the overall story, like you said, like the the, the models devouring Jesse. Mm. I wouldn't just say it's the models. I would say like it's it's a, a young innocent being devoured by Ellie by anybody that she comes in contact. They want something from her, and they are going to take it regardless. Um, it's just the corruption of innocence almost throughout the movie. Yeah, I I, I mean I think the film is as uh, it, it's very deliberate that it's set in L.A. Obviously, mm. you know this is this is this is where Hollywood is. This is where stardom is found. This is where fame and you know and fortune that kind of thing is all 
found. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I think that is, that is the demon of which the title is referring to, this, this mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, this, this demon that lures you in, chews you up and spits you back out, literally. That's, that's, that's what happens to this girl. She gets mm -hmm. lured in, chewed up, literally, and towards the end, spat back out. Um, you know, I, I just think, I think that's what Refn is trying to do. He's trying to make a commentary on, on LA, uh, mm. on, on this culture of fame and, and vanity uh, and obsession. And I think he's also making a comment on the, the female competition, you know, how, how, how they don't say rally around and support each other. But how they try to like tear each other down. I I think he is, and I, I, it's one of my problems with the film as well. Is because like uh, Refn has been quoted as saying that this, t to him in his mind, this is a feminist film. It's a, mm. it's a feminist piece, and and I I don't agree at all because there is not a single female character in this entire film that has a any real redeeming qualities oh, no. you know they're, 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 they're all upset e even our main character who we start off liking at halfway through turns and mm. suddenly she, you know, she's gripped mm. by whatever it is that's taken hold of her and the same thing that's taken hold of all these other women who are, who are trying to you know, as, as the synopsis says, devour her. Um, yeah, yeah, but on the same breath as well, you've got the, you've got the women who are despicable, but you've got the men who are bland and kind of devoid of personality. They, they're all kind of dressed in black, plain black. They don't really change it. They, they kind of hang about uh, scenes, don't say anything, don't really do anything, minimum movement, but they seem to be the epicentre of everything. These women's attention are all drenched around about the guys who pretty much control everything but seem bored and uninterested by these women. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure I'd call them bland as such, but uh, yeah, so I, I definitely think there's a certain disconnect there. The, the men in this film, except, except for one, and he's the one that gets pushed away, all the rest of the men are very much kind of, they're disconnected from these women as human beings. They don't see mm -hmm. them as, as human beings, they see them as commodities, products to be sold and bought and um, yeah uh, I Well I think one thing we could probably agree on is that this thing is visually stunning from, mm. from beginning to end um, opens yeah. with this, these really really textured, really nice title cards almost as the neon lights that bounce off tinfoil it looks like almost, it's just these really images You've got all this really weird abstract images all the way through as well. You've got the performance artist in the bar. You have mm. the, the scene of her listening to somebody being assaulted in the room next to her. Um, you have all these weird imagery throughout the movie. What did you think of this kind of stuff? Um, well, yeah, it takes some thought, doesn't it? Um, mm. But uh, there's, there's the... Oh man, I wish I'd seen it more recently now, to be honest. It was a couple of weeks ago. There's the whole stuff with the moon. Um, mm. She tells this story to her boyfriend, uh, the one that she rejects a little bit later on, about yeah. how when she was younger, she used to look up to the moon and 
remind me, remind me what she said. It's, she, she thought it was like, was it the eye of God or something? She thought it was something the eye of God things, looking yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, we have this scene where, oh, I see, I, I, I've forgotten her name now. The uh, Jenna Malone. So Jenna Malone's Ruby. character, yeah, Ruby. She I, have they have they eaten her at this point? I can't remember. I think they've eaten her at this point, and then she goes. She's in her room and she's looking at the moon, and then all this blood just starts to kind of. Yes. Yes. Come that's out after of she, her. Just after she's yeah. in. Her. Yeah. Um, and there's this whole thing there about how. She, she's kind of looking up at the moon, almost. As if to say that that Jesse can see her that she's now looking down upon her mm-hmm. from you know with the angels or whatever you want to call it, it it's just yeah it's very bizarre uh, you know it's, it's like uh <laughs> i don't know help me out go you go <laughs> see, it's, it's, it's a movie that makes you think it's a movie that makes you wonder if there's hidden meaning to some of the scenes uh, Personally, I, I like the relationship between Jessie as she comes into LA and she deals with the other models that she meets and the makeup artist. There's one scene that I caught the second time round that I didn't pick up on the first time, and it's when they're in the bathrooms at the club that Ruby takes her to. Mm. And they feel kind of predatorial the way they're surrounding her, measuring her, sort of eyeing her up, and Ruby says to her, Are you food or are you sex? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then later on, Ruby tries to have sex with her, and that doesn't work, so <laughs> it's the yeah. other option. But it's that kind of, like, the females are boiling themselves down to two type of things. Are you going to be consumable in one way, or are you going to be mm. consumable in another? Yeah. yeah. And it just it just leads to this whole essence of these women not just befriending somebody, but going, is this competition for men, jobs, attention, mm. you know, rather than just banding together? Yeah, I, I I like like conceptually, I I like. You know that idea, mm. you know, and and I think it's worth exploring, but for me, I I found a lot of the dialogue to be. Very unnatural, and I know the whole the the, the film as a whole is unnatural. You know, the mm-hmm. stuff that happens in it is is very, um, yeah, very unnatural. Uh, so. Obviously, you're not meant to approach a film like this in that way, but mm-hmm. even so, the the dialogue I find quite jarring, particularly in that moment you described when when she asks if she's food or uh, you know are you sex or are you food, and, and it's just I I was a bit this 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 is this is hard going at that point, um, and uh, but but I do yeah I do think those concepts are worth exploring. Mm-hmm. I just think that. That there should have been a female character in here that is a is I don't know is able to resist in so, on some level or is at least able to get out is at least able to say you know what I to quote train spotting choose life <laughs> mm. you know like I reject all this nonsense I choose life um, but, but I think what, what it, the movie's ultimately stating is, is is to give you somebody that gets out, that survives, that betters themselves, is saying that there's a chance that you can survive early. This movie's ultimately saying that no matter who you are, it is going to chew you up and spit you out regardless. Nobody's safe here from the venom, from the poison that it's going to induce into your system. It's just toxic. 
I, yeah, I, I get that, but I but I don't agree with it. So that's where I have the problem. Because um, you know, when when you look at this industry in which, you know, we we have women, strong women, strong independent women within these industries who who you know who who set new benchmarks and things like that, who are, who, you know, who 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 separate themselves from that kind of thing and. So to not show that, to say that actually, no, it's it's all, I, I get it, you know, I, I, I get mm. what I, I get what you mean, I get why he's saying that, and and sometimes you do feel that way, you know, you look at something like Hollywood, um, uh, you know, particularly most recently with all the Harvey Weinstein stuff that's been going mm. on, and and it does make you, th you know, and then Kevin Spacey, and then other other names constantly coming out, it does yeah. kind of make you hang your head and think, my goodness, is there anything about that industry that isn't corrupt or defiled yeah, in some way. I understand you're saying like that's not your perception of it, but this is the filmmaker's perception or this is how it comes across. This is his perception of that town. Um, you know, you you're different from that and that's that's fair enough. But not just let's just look outside the women for a moment. There is this whole predatorial nature throughout the movie. Everybody wants something from Jesse. Mm. No matter who they are, whoever she comes in contact with contact with they all want something even the nice guy photographer at the start he wants to date her he wants her on yeah. his arm yeah. um, everybody wants something and then you've got Keanu Reeves motel owner who is it feels as if he's almost dealing in it because he, he says to him at one moment you know uh, 214 gotta be seen you know real Lolita shit you gotta try that mm. you know, sound like a bit reference right there yeah but he's literally like pimping out these girls who are here Distressed, runaway, no money, and, and he's, he's, you know, just almost pimping them out. It's it's just everybody is after something here. Nobody is out to be friends just for the sake of being friendly. Every single person wants something. Mm. Yeah, it's a I, I, movie. I, it really leaves you. In it, a happy yeah, end. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do think there is a truth in that. You know, you 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 go to Hollywood for for a certain reason you know like you, you're trying to get into that business and everybody that is there is trying to attain the same thing mm -hmm. which means you have an entire pool of people thousands upon thousands of people in which only not even hundreds but tens mm -hmm. are going to be picked each year out of that pool to be to, you know to to join the ranks of stardom so mm -hmm. the people who are doing the picking yeah, you know they, they 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 always want something, I guess. But I I, I don't know. I I just yeah. I I just feel like the film. It I I can't call it a bad film. You know I I I can't sit here and call it a bad film. I I think it it gets a reaction. Is the best thing I can say about it. It does get a reaction, but mm -hmm. I I you ca you can't you. Ca if something bores you, it bores you, and there's there's no way of getting around that. Like even if you look at it and you and you, you can appreciate certain things, you know, mm -hmm. appreciate the visuals in this. And like at the start of the film, I I was paying attention to the camera work, and mm -hmm. we the, the camera kind of roves in, and then it roves out again, and then that's yeah. when we see the photographer boyfriend, mm -hmm. and that that felt like. Okay, that, that, that camera was the boyfriend's kind of 
point of view, so to speak. Mm. And it, it felt like that's what he was doing with his eyes. But then I kind of felt like, actually, I, I'm not sure if that was, I, I'm not sure how much of a conscious choice that was from Refn because elsewhere in the film, the, the, the camera work doesn't seem to be that deliberate when it comes, in regard to pe uh, characters' perspectives, so to speak. Mm. It just feels like it's more him constantly moving the camera and and just just wanting to keep it moving and keep having these slow kind of con constant slow tracking shots. Um, that the after a while, when I was looking at them, just seemed to be there more for style rather than substance. Whereas you know you look at someone like Stanley Kubrick, which Refn is so obviously trying to ape with this film. And everything is deliberate with Kubrick. You know, you look at his camera work, you look at what he does, each movement has a very kind of specific purpose. Um, so, so, I don't know, I, I guess because I've been watching Kubrick movies recently, I've been going through his whole catalogue, mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's really made me grow to appreciate him like ask me a few years ago what i thought of kubrick i'd have said ah oh, well probably a bit overrated a little bit pretentious but but i be like i said i've been watching them recently studying them and i'm actually i've, I've been i've yeah i'm a huge kubrick fan now I'd, I'd openly admit that i'd say you know what the guy knew what he was doing He's, he was a genius maybe a bit cold at times a bit clinical but he knew what he was doing um, and I feel like if, okay, if, if you're going to make such an obvious attempt to ape Kubrick, then you have to be open to the, to the level of, of criticism, the level of analysis that mm -hmm. Kubrick's films are open to. And, and in that regard, I, I think it pales in comparison. Yeah, um, um, just to quickly jump back to a point you said earlier, and look about what's of people trying to make it big in LA and like maybe 10 people out of 100,000 gets picked each year. If somebody out there could just explain to me why Jai Courtney made it, I'd love that. Um, <laughs> now, to move on to... Like he get, was get, born get, to play Captain Boomerang. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> um, to move on to your point about Stanley Kubrick, I, I don't think... I think there may be some... It, it's easy to like, look at a movie that's kind of cold, it's measured, where there's longer shots and go like it's Kubrick-esque, but this, I feel like it fits the story. It fits the story of of this LA, of of this vast metropolis where everybody's fighting to, to, to make the big picture, and then it's like slow measured shots of these wide open spaces. Like the, the, the photography shots that you're talking about, like it, it's, it's focusing on Jesse at the start, and then it, it pulls back to really, to say, show this wide, open, vast, empty space that she is alone there, the focal point of attention of everything. And it takes its time to really let that sink into you because it happens again uh, when she's getting her pictures taken with the, the, the professional photographer and he empties the room and they're in an almost airport hangar. Yeah. And, and she's just getting a, like a profile shot and it's this vast open space where you're in this city where millions of people are and she's alone. You know, it must be a hard thing to do in this kind of place. And I think, I don't think he's really aiming to ape Kubrick, but I think that's just what the story leans itself towards. Well, it, he he literally references Kubrick three times that, the, that I counted within dialogue. Um, you know, the, the Lolita one that you just mentioned, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of others. I, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but 
there's, there's a few times where he makes a, 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 you know actual vocal mm. references from characters to things that are, are Kubrick. So uh, in, in all fairness, if you're going to try and uh, imitate somebody better Kubrick than Edward, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, look, I, 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 I don't fault the guy for trying. I really mm. don't. Um, and. I, I like I say I don't think this is a bad film. I I just think that well tr truthfully I ju I just found it a bit dull in places. You know it's mm -hmm. I I I when I'm watching you know like again Kubrick's films are quite slow. They can be quite slow, but I'm never anything but gripped. You know Barry mm -hmm. Lyndon is, is is a really long slow film, but the whole I'm gripped to that film throughout. Um, because there's something about the characters. There's something about he, about what he does with the characters. Um, whereas these characters feel, to me, not, not particularly like fully fleshed out in the sense that, that, that they're more like archetypes, I guess. They're more, they're more like. Um, I don't know emotional states or you know re like representative of certain mm. aspects of humanity rather than kind of fully fledged people. That that's how I feel anyway when I'm watching them. I don't right. know. I don't know if that's true. It's just I uh, for whatever reason I felt a disconnect to these characters as I'm watching them. constantly. I didn't really like much of the models or some of the other models, but I felt. I felt drawn to Jessie, which I think is, is where everybody else is in the movie. I wanted to know a little bit more about her backstory. I was I was perpetually worried about her. I felt as if the, we didn't know when she was going to get whatever happened to her. Mm. I had no idea where the movie was going to go. I had no idea that she was going to get eaten. <laughs> like, I did not know. I, did, did you feel like that was going to happen? I, I've got to say I did, um, but that that's... It's because of two things. Um, it's because it's, one, it's because of that synopsis, the one I read at the beginning, um, <laughs> and two, there was a comment that somebody had made on uh, on a review that I'd watched, right. and they they didn't out and out spell it out, and I can't even remember what it was they said, but they said something that I don't know. I guess it connected the dots from that synopsis to uh, to whatever they said, and in between, I thought, are we going to see someone get eaten here? <laughs> is, is there going to be something really disgusting? Because I know that you know Refn has done really disgusting body horror stuff before. You go back mm -hmm. to Drive, and you see um, Christina Hendricks' head get proper blown off when, mm -hmm. with with a shotgun. So I know he's not shy of doing things that are, are kind of Cronenbergian. <laughs> if if you want to, I mean, I didn't even know she'd been eaten until the model's stomach started to go. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, they push her in the pool. Yeah. Then you see them converging on her, and then the next scene you see is them covered in blood, showering, right. bathing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know what's happened there. And yeah. then when they're standing in the sunlight and the stomach starts to gurgle, I was like, okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> I get this. <laughs> Let, let's talk about a couple of those scenes, so... Two sort of gory scenes that I want to talk about, I think, is the murder of Jesse and the necrophilia scene. Just literally, again, came out of nowhere. 
What and what does it add, really? I'm like, I'm sorry. This this is where the the pretentious thing kind of comes. I think in. it just shows that, that these people, even in death, they're gonna fuck you. <laughs> I, well, I, okay, if I, I'm probably being a bit too harsh, I, I'll be kind. I think if anything, it shows that this character played by Jenna Malone, she she's desperate for connection. She's desperate for you know because just before that, and mm. and I think I think this scene actually with her character is a direct result of having been turned down just yes. moments before mm. by Jesse. You know she and the cadaver looks a little bit like Jesse. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just to me. I, I, I think it's because she is again that word disconnected. I, th- I think she's probably lost whatever humanity she had, and she's desperately mm. searching for it again. She, she wants connection. She's living mm. in this town in which everybody is trying to get to know everybody else, mm. but no one actually truly does you know they nobody knows anybody in any kind of meaningful mm. way it's all a step on the the next step on the rung of the ladder you know um and it shows a complete loss of uh, morals as well you know the fact yeah. that she's willing to, to desecrate the dead the way she mm-hmm. does just for her own self-gratification and it's kind of yeah. alludes to what's going to happen next because she's well it never says it but i imagine that she's the one that's organized uh, taking Jesse out. Mm. You know, yeah. she seems to be the one behind it all. And then we, we get to this murder scene. And it turns into a slasher for a little bit. Just for a brief a couple of moments. When yeah. she's running down corridors and stuff. Yeah. Because a lot of, a lot of be- people did build this as a horror film um, w- when it came out. And mm. I, I'd, I'd err more on the side of thriller rather than horror. But yeah. there is de- there's definitely moments of horror in it, as in mm-hmm. there's, there's some horrific stuff. I'd say it's the same way as horror as um, It Comes at Night. Or Get Out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah the, the kind of borderline ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this murder scene's particularly kind of brutal almost because it's... You see the body kind of shuddering and, and jittering as the blood kind of pulls mm-hmm. out. I mean, it doesn't look... It looks horrible. <laughs> it really mm. does. And there seems to be no sympathy on these three women's face whatsoever. Yeah. It's as if they've all lost their moral core, their, their good deeds. They have nothing but their personal vengeance in mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think... I think we're, we're kind of at odds at this movie. Um, I, I'm really glad I got to check it out. Really well, I, the, the, I, I mean, the, I, the thing is, I, I see what you see in it. You know, the, the, the things you've talked about, I see those things. And I, I, I don't know. I, it just... I did, I did find the film to be quite a hypnotic experience. But no, it's, it's, it's understandable, Brian. Yeah. Like, I can look at a film and go, wow, Jurassic Park. Everybody's going to love it. I can see why they're going to mm. love it. I can look at this movie and go, <laughs> there is not going to be a lot of people that like this because of its slow pace, because of its disturbing subject matter where there is no goodness in anybody. Mm. I can understand why somebody wouldn't like it. And yeah. For me, there's just something about it that, that hypnotised me, that drew me in, kept me captivated at that screen. 
and I loved every moment of it. Yeah, it, it stuck with me, I'll say that much. You know, it's, it's not a film that kind of leaves the mind anytime soon. And I think it is probably one I will watch again at some point. Um, and who knows, it might be a grower. You know, mm. I've, I've had films like that before where the first time you watch them, you're like, what the heck is this? But for whatever yeah. reason, it sticks with you and you can't get it out of your head. So you feel compelled to watch it again. And then... Mm. That's when you realise why it stuck in your head. But um, I, I wish yeah. it was a little bit fresher because it's been a week since I last watched it and mm, I should have watched it again. Yeah. But when watching it the second time, there was lots of little things that I started to pick up that I hadn't noticed the first time that really mm. kind of enriched that a second time round for me. So this is going to be something that I watch a fair bit. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to discuss about it, if you want to go to wrap-ups. I, I, th I think it's, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do this as part of my wrap-up. Um, I, 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 I would recommend the film to people to watch. I, I, I'd say if you've got a weak constitution, don't, don't go there. It's not for you. Um, if, if you like films where you, you really have to think about symbolism and, and, and you know, kind of bring an interpretation to it, uh, kind of figure out what it is the director's trying to say, th then this might be the film for you. And, and I, I generally am that kind of person. I, you know, I do like trying to mm -hmm. pick films apart and look for, for the, what, the, what it all means, so to speak. You know, I love Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko's one of my favourite movies, and that is one of those films that makes mm -hmm. people go, what? Yeah. Um, but I have a very specific kind of... Uh, view on that film and what it means and it doesn't it's not necessarily the right interpretation but it's it's the right one for me uh and i think a lot to do with that film is that i do have a character at the center of it all the one we're asked to follow who i can identify with who i can even though he does some questionable things i i can i can buy into him as a character i can say you know what i i I want to go with this guy. I want to go along with, with him on his journey and, and see it through. And, and, you know, he's got noble qualities as well. Uh, whereas here, we don't, we don't get that. And, and I, I get what you're saying. I think that's the point. To, to, a large, to a large degree, that is the point because of this world we're being taken into and what Refn is trying to say about, the, about that world, about L.A., um, but for me, I, I'm just not that guy. I, 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 I need someone I can identify with. I need someone who I feel at least some kind of empathy for. Um, and and up, up till the halfway mark, I do feel some mm. empathy for Jessie. But once she turns her... She makes her choice, basically. She, she makes her bed and then she has to lie in it. So the, the moment she tells the the, the, the the lad she's she's been seeing that's it we're done she, she she essentially chooses the fashion world over him she chooses her fame over him that that's when all empathy is gone and then i'm I'm left with no one to root for and so so I'm left then with another forty minutes of running time in which I'm following these these four women none of whom I like um so yeah, I guess that's my problem. Like I say, it's a beautifully made film, very 
rich in 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 both um you know look and sound and and themes thematic thematically speaking um but you lose me i'm i'm just that person who yeah if if, if you don't give me someone i can identify with it doesn't matter what you're saying you lose me and i think that's what happens with this film so i i i give it a two and a half out of five like i say i can't say it's a bad film but i can't mm -hmm. quite bring myself to say it's good either it's smack bang in the middle um, I'm quite open of my unabashed love for this movie. It just it ticked every box that I had going. I thought it was fantastic. I think the score is remarkable. The sound works terrific. The visuals are just hypnotic. The, the storyline, although a very sort of poor representation of humanity, I do think fits perfectly with this world that they're in, and I do like it. I just sometimes you just find this movie, and it just seems to just a spot on you that just goes yeah this thing's for you I'm not even going to try and convince anybody to uh, that they should love it because I understand wholeheartedly why they wouldn't what I would do is check it out make up your own mind um, I think it's worth it definitely there we have it I'm going to give it 6 out of 5 really? yeah man that I much? oh god I just I, I, I absolutely adore this movie. I think it's probably one of my my favourite movies that we've done on the podcast. Um, I can't wait to watch it again. Blimey. Okay. There right. we have it. Okay. Have I, it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's 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 so many things that I I I would imagine listeners are screaming at us to talk about, <laughs> which we've just. It it is worth mentioning. I I I'm recording this after seeing the midnight showing last night of the Last Jedi, and being not allowed to rest throughout the day because my little girl was ill. So yeah, <laughs> if if this sounds very haphazard, it probably is. Um, but I I do feel like we're probably missing a lot of stuff. I mean, like we've not really talked about the performances or anything like that, but um. Mm. Yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff is is really great. As much as I don't identify with the characters, as much as I don't like them, as I said at the start, there, there are some really committed performances, and e even Keanu Reeves, you know, doesn't doesn't embarrass him himself here when mm -hmm. when he's up against you know people who you know are, are what you might consider a higher pedigree mm -hmm. of actor. Uh, so, okay, so next up is our double bill section. It's just the, the section Graham came up with uh, in which we kind of offer up a suggestion for another film to, to you that, that if you know if, if you liked the Neon Demon you might like this uh, and I gotta say when, when coming up with double bills for, like since we've been doing it this has been the hardest um, I, I've yeah I had a lot of trouble trying to come up with a film that, that yeah that, that fits yeah, in too. with this um, I, and, and, and it's only now, actually, just I, I've, I came up with one, and it's a film I've not even seen. I only brought it up as a suggestion purely by what I've heard said about it and what I know from the, the synopsis, the story. Mm. And that film is Drop Dead Gorgeous, which oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, takes place within a very similar kind of industry. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, again, it's got the idea of women kind of basically spitting each other chewing each other up and spitting each other out and, and just doing anything to climb to the top so yeah um 
Another one has just occurred to me, actually, which I think is actually a pretty decent suggestion, but I, I will let you do yours first, just in case. Okay. Yes. Um, it's not a similar movie, but as so much in female leads in that. It's a very nihilistic movie, the one that I've chosen to double ball with this. It's one that's got some haunting visuals, and it's a movie that lasted with me long after seeing it. In fact, I've only seen the movie once, and it was about 20-odd years ago. But again, the movie's just, the visuals stick with me, the performance sticks with me, the lead actor, and that movie is Jacob's Ladder. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a good film, yeah. yeah. A- Ad- Adrian Lynn, another Kubrick connection there. He directed the <laughs> remake of Lolita, obviously. Um, but yeah, uh, no, it's, it's a good film, Jacob's Ladder. Very good film. Um, mm-hmm. I've only, like you, I've, I've only seen it the once. It was many years ago. Again, probably about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did have quite an impact, uh, but yeah, I mean the the other the other one that kind of sprung to my mind, and and it was literally just as I, as we got into this section, um, is Boogie Nights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 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 a film again set in L.A. and it's about a a destructive a young, industry. Yeah, a destructive industry. It's about a young lad who, because of his Talent, his appendage. Yeah, you know, it's, he's got something that everybody else wants. He's not particularly talented. He's just blessed with the looks. He's just blessed with the uh, <coughs> the gun, so to speak. And so, yeah. So in that regard, he has very he has a lot of similarities to mm-hmm. to yeah to to Jesse. Um, and it, and it does take a, a, some real dark turns, you know. He go, gets into that industry and it kind of spirals out of control and it goes downhill. The only difference there is that, one, we get a character that actually I can identify with. Um, mm. uh, you know, this, this guy's a bit of a lost soul. He's, he, 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 he never really become. He, he doesn't make any kind of intention to, to do anything immoral. He just, it's, his situations just kind of spiral out of control. But... Um, mm. Yeah, towards the end, there is that kind of family thing, which, again, you don't have with Neon Demon. But in this, despite how destructive this, this industry is and despite how, um, uh, yeah, just, just kind of damaged these people are, they still have a family sensibility. They still have a sense of um, loyalty, to mm. each other that is genuine, that is not just built on let's all try and climb the ladder. You know, they, they, they get into an industry that is, you can talk about the moral quandaries of it all you want, but once they're in it, they, they, they do form a kind of bond. They do form something of a family dynamic that is, mm. yeah, like I say, is genuine and dysfunctional to, to all hell. But, uh, yeah, uh, my my original choice, which has just popped back into my head now, um, was under the skin, the the Scarlet Johansson. Oh right, do, yeah, please, yeah. Please don't say anything about it. I've not seen it. I I do have it on DVD, yeah. and I do want to watch it. Um, yeah, I'm just saying, like, it's very Kubrickian in mm. the way that it looks, and that's all I'm going to say actually. So we're going to leave it at that because I don't want to spoil it for you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So shall we get to the most uh, dreaded part? Of this podcast, Brian, the the Brian top five. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah, but just before we get into that, let's just get into a bit of housekeeping, as we often do. 
Um, if you like what you've been listening to, if you, if you like hearing us speak about movies, um, then, yeah, we like having you on board. And you could, you could help us out in a really big way by just going over to iTunes and giving us a rating and a review. It doesn't have to be a big essay, just a couple of sentences, just to tell people what you feel about the podcast. Uh, hopefully positive, obviously, and hopefully a five-star review. Uh, yeah, it, it does help us to get seen by more people, and we would greatly appreciate it. But, yeah, top fives. So, <laughs> so these were my choices, uh, primarily because, as is often the case, I neglect to come up with something beforehand and then have to think about it in the last minute. Uh, but I, I decided to go with Fanning Sisters. Um, mm. So not not with this one, not necessarily their best roles, but just their best films. The best films they've been in. When you look at the, you know, there's Ella Fanning and Dakota Fanning. And I've got a feeling there's another one, but I could be wrong. Um, but certainly Dakota and Ella are, are the, the two Fannings of, of which we are talking about. Question is... Which are the five best films that these two girls have been in? Uh, which of the two has been in, in, in the most on our lists is, is another question I'd like to see. Um, oh, right, okay. I, mean, I mean, this, is th- this, this was one <laughs> of the toughest ones, Brian. <coughs> really? Um, you, you definitely challenge us with picking it. I hadn't seen that a lot of them with them in it. Um, right. And picking roles that really stuck out to me was exceptionally hard as well. So there's a couple of movies here that I really don't have too much to say about although I'll try <laughs> <laughs> so who's going first Brian uh, go on I'll go first um, <laughs> I'll just throw in a few honourable mentions <coughs> like three um, <laughs> two, two of which are not even uh, not even live action films they're animated so on the one hand you've got box trolls with uh, Ella Fanning, I do believe, and mm-hmm. then Coraline with Dakota Fanning. Uh, both both of these films are from Leica Studios, mm. who do the stop motion animation stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's almost like you know we worked with one sister, let's work with the other one. But but both those films are actually pretty good. If you like animation, uh, I, I think that yeah, they've, there's a lot about them. Um, and Another, th- another film was, was Babel. It's a film by Alejandro González Iñárritu, uh, which I really like. I, I, I think it's a very, very good film. And the only reason it didn't make my top five is because I couldn't remember. Uh, I, I, think, I think it was Ella Fanning who was in it. I could be wrong. Um, but whichever Fanning was in it, I couldn't remember them. So it could, they, in that particular film, they couldn't have left that big of an impression. So I... For that reason, I left it out of my top five because I, I don't want to put. I, I want to make sure that the films that are in our top fives, while it may not be their best role, I do want them to have had, you know, a meaty role in it. I don't want it to be mm. some like two second clip that they were in when they were first starting out, um, for it to qualify. So yeah, the rest of these films, ones that are in my top five, they play pretty big roles in the films. Uh, so with that in mind, my number five is a film called Push. Uh, it's directed par- by Paul McGuigan, I think you pronounce it, or Paul McGuigan. I think it's Paul McGuigan you pronounce mm-hmm. it. Um, and it's a f- this actually is 
you know, talking about films where you don't like them the first time around and then, <gasps> and then they really grow on you. I, Fish is I, awesome. I did not like it at all. Um, I had to view it as part... I, I, I was a projectionist at the time when it came out and I had to view the print, but I, we, we put a staff showing of it on as well. So for, for the, the... Yeah, the staff, obviously. Um, and like a few people were, were really loving it and, and I was just sat there thinking, you know what? I do not like this film. It feels like made for TV but with a slightly bigger budget and I, I, to be honest I don't know what I was smoking because I caught it late one night again on TV and I just got into it right from the start I was into it really engrossed uh, really loved the characters thought Dakota Fanning was fantastic in it although I, I I was a bit perturbed or disturbed by uh, some of the ways they dress her up in this, because she was about 14, I think, when she did this film. And it's, mm, yeah, she's dressed up quite in a, in a fairly provocative way, I would say, um, you know, wearing the kind of clothes that I think maybe should be reserved for someone of a, of a, of a much older age. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I, I thought it was a pretty good take on the superhero movie, you know. Um, it was kind of kind, kind of like an X-Men vibe, but mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more realistic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. If you've not seen it, I, I highly recommend it to anyone. So, push. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can second that. Push is, is fantastic. It's a movie I've watched a lot. Uh, I wish there was more. Um, number five in my list is Man on Fire. Which is uh, Dakota Fanning, and it's a Tony Scott directed and pretty much primarily a Denzel Washington movie. But mm. there would be no weight behind the Washington okay. story if there wasn't a relationship between Dakota and himself. And it's that relationship that really makes the movie as good as it is because of her portrayal of the young character, yeah, whose name is. I can't remember. But I, I think mm. it's 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 a movie that. I think is one of Tony Scott's best and it was mm. regarded as a great movie when it came out and it's because of that relationship yeah, so that's my number five definitely yeah um, my number four is a film that is <laughs> I feel very underrated and now it, it is a it, it is something of a, of a fluff piece puff piece whatever you call it but I just, I find it so heartwarming and so feel good. And I think that's its intention. It's just a feel good movie. You know, it's not meant to be this big drama with, although it does have its moments uh, and it's, it's We Bought a Zoo. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, when I saw it, I was I was expecting nothing because you know I, I was a fan of Co Cameron Crowe anyway, although I, I I know he'd done Elizabeth Town just before this. I can't remember if there was another one of his in between Elizabeth Town and this, but Elizabeth Town was not good, um, and it, so he'd kind of ridden that train of doing some decent films with Almost Famous, Jerry Maguire. And Vanilla Sky, I thought was pretty good as well, and then and then yeah, Elizabeth Town. It was like, oh, uh, is he going downhill a bit now? Um, so when this came out and all the reviews were pretty terrible for it, I was like, yeah, it looks like he's going downhill. Um, 
But yeah, I was, I was working at Blockbuster. I was allowed free rentals every week. This was one of them because I kind of worked my way through everything. So I got to this eventually. I watched it and I, I loved it. I did. It's, it's really heartwarming. It's, it, it's a great performance, central performance by Matt Damon. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson's really great in it as well. Uh, and, and Ella Fanning. Ella Fanning has this little subplot. She's not a massive thing in the film, but she's got, this, yeah, she's got this little subplot, plays a bit of a quirky character. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, do, does she do as much work in this as, uh, as, as herself or her sister in any of the other films I'm going to mention or have mentioned? No, but. I just there's not there's not enough people who say that We Bought a Zoo is a good film, and I want to go on record as saying you know what it is. I get that it's not it's not exactly exactly meaty or weighty, but it's just if you want to sit back, watch a feel good film, something of a maybe even a Frank Capra esque nature, which we don't get much of these days, then then I say We Bought a Zoo is 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 one to watch. Hmm. Okay, my number four is Coraline. Again, is Dakota Fanning. She plays the title character of Coraline. It's about a young girl who goes into a magical world that seems perfect at first uh, until they try and sew buttons in her eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's the main character. It, it, it was like his first movie. And uh, much, much like Pixar before them, they came out with the traps running with this fantastic world. Mm. Uh, directed by Henry Selick, who did yeah, James and the Giant Nightmare Peach. Before Christ- Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas, Christmas as well. As well. Um, yeah, I, I think she is, like I said, the title character. The movie lives or die on on that girl, and she does particularly well. But it's been a long while since I've seen it, and I was really struggling for this list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Cor- Coraline is a really good film, and and it came so close to being on on my list. But I've just found it to be one of those movies that I've not really gone back to. Um, like it's it's what it, I don't know if you ever have them where you can recognise the brilliance of it. So I, th- yeah. I think when I first saw it, I gave it like a four and a half out of five. I thought this is one of the best animations I've seen in a long, long time. Um, but but I just yeah, there's, I can't. I I just don't go back to it. I I have no impulse to go back to it, and I don't know if it's just too dark or whatever. But yeah, but it but it is a great film. Um, Whereas all the ones that are in my top five, they've got that kind of repeat watchability. You know, mm-hmm. like I keep going back to them. I keep watching them. So, yeah, which brings me to number three, which is War of the Worlds. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like Dakota Fanning in this because she does scream an awful lot. But in her quieter moments in this film, I, sh- I think she's great. I think, again, she, like when she was this age, you know, when she did Man on Fire and these kind of movies... Mm-hmm. She, she she always has a really perfect chemistry with the adults that she's playing off and she, she becomes the heart, she becomes the soul of that main character's journey. It's like like you said with Man on Fire, without her, you, you, that, 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 that main character played by Denzel Washington has no soul. Um, and, and I think equally so in this film... With Tom Cruise, you know she creates. She she's the bond in that fire in that family dynamic. Now the film isn't perfect. I I I you know spoiler warning in case you haven't seen it. I can't imagine you not having seen it by now. But 
Yeah, when a certain character comes back at the end, literally in the last 10 seconds, I, I'm like, no, you're dead, mate. There's no way you've got out of that alive. Um, but they, you know, they wanted to play the happy family ending, which for me was a little bit of a cop out. But everything else in the film for me, really loved. Really great Spielberg movie and a wonderful take on H.G. Wells' famous story. Okay, my number three is The Box Trolls, uh, another Leica movie. Um, again, <laughs> I, I don't think they, th these people have put a foot wrong. She plays Winnie, which is the kind of love interest. She stays up in the, the city biggest house of, of this land and her city awe and shock as she gets out and stumbles across these weird people um, and becomes a love interest really drives the story forward for me. I'm kind of, like, you know, if there was more Leica movies that these girls had been in, they'd probably be on the list as well, because I think everything <laughs> the company's done is perfect. Mm. And I think it's a really, really fun movie. Again, I'm struggling for stuff to say, Brian. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I already know what your number one choice is going to be, uh, given just how much you gushed this episode, but we'll, we'll work our way there. Uh, number two uh, for me is Man on Fire and yeah basically everything you said you know, it, it is a really great action movie <clears throat> and for the second half of it Dakota Fanning isn't even in it but that first half mm -hmm. and for the for the age she was when she did it man she she's incredible she gives an incredible performance in it and she really is the heart and the soul of this film because when she gets kidnapped you know, like you, you come to a film like this and, and you want to, get, you know, like Taken. I think mm. about Taken. You know, I could not wait for his daughter to get Taken. I was like, <laughs> just, just, just bloody take her already and get to the good stuff. Get to, get to Liam Neeson kicking some ass, you know. That's essentially what this film should be. On paper... You know, that kind of action film directed by Tony Scott. You put it out. It's a Friday night movie. You go with your mates. That's what you want. You want to see Denzel Washington going to town on a bunch of people who deserve it. But you get so sucked into this relationship between him and her that, that, that you, you know she's going to get taken. And actually, you're sat there thinking, actually, I, I, I could go a bit longer. I, I, I can wait. You don't have to take her just yet. Let's see a bit more of this relationship. You know, I, I did. I loved the relationship between those two. And the, it's definitely, a lot of that is down to Dakota Fanning. She is incredible in this film. Say what you want about her in the rest of her career, you know, like poke fun at the Twilight movies, whatever. In this film, she's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, my, my number two is a movie that I saw this year. And it was a quiet week at the cinema because I've got the, the Man V Film YouTube channel, I needed a movie to review, and I just jumped into this one expecting absolute nothing, and that movie was 20th Century Woman. Now, the movie is absolutely fantastic. Um, Elle Fanning is in it, she plays Julie, and the movie uh, is about this young boy who's kind of coming of age, and his mother and a couple of other people that stay in the house, females, decide to come together and try to figure out how they raise a man <laughs> being that they're all female and they each bring a different element to this boy's life it is absolutely tremendous, Julie is one of the most important characters because she's roughly his age um, she's a little bit wild he kind of has a, a crush on her 
and she's kind of damaged and, and doing things like self-destructively. It's a great role. If anybody hasn't seen this movie, man, you've got to check it out. It's truly fantastic. It's a period piece set in the late 70s. Unbelievable cast in this thing as well. Have, have you seen it, Brian? I've not. I've not even heard of it. So, oh no, I think I have heard of it, but I've not. I've not seen it. What? What? Remind me again. What's it called? Twentieth century women. Twentieth century women or woman? Women. 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 Right. Women. women. <laughs> Is that Scottish? Scottish accent failing you there? Twentieth <laughs> century females. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, right. My number one choice. Uh, again, this, this this is a film that the first time I saw it, I did like it, but I thought it was a little bit overrated. And then second time I saw it, I decided actually no, this this is J J Abrams' best film, Super Eight. Um, l- love it. I, I absolutely loved it. it. It's it's a it's a Spielberg movie, you know, and and J- that. J.J. Abrams is the heir apparent, I believe, to Spielberg. You know, he he, he worked with Spielberg at a very early age as, as a child. You know, he edited some of uh, some some clips, some footage that Spielberg needed editing. So he's, he does have very close links to him. And you can see it in his work. You can see it throughout mm. his work. He makes very Spielbergian films. And I think a lot of people... Do you get quite sniffy about that? They will, you know, because I guess they adore Spielberg so much that they they think, oh no, no one can touch him. So so J.J. Abrams becomes a bit of an easy target. But you know what? Actually, he makes damn good films. He makes the the kind of movies that Spielberg used to make in the eighties, uh, and and it'll be interesting to see actually just how J.J. Abrams develops over the years. Whether he will go into more serious stuff, you know, like, like as with Spielberg did. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, this this is the best Spielberg movie that Spielberg never made. Uh, it's it's great. I love it. Uh, and, and again, it's the success of it to me is very much like like the the reasons for its success. I feel is very much like the reasons for the success of it, which we had this year, mm-hmm. which is those kids. You know, yeah. that you got that group of kids together. That have great chemistry, amazing chemistry, and you, and you believe them, you buy into those relationships, and you want to go along with them on this journey. Uh, so yeah, you know, if you, I I think Super Eight and It actually make some pretty decent companion pieces. But uh, yeah, mm. mm-hmm. I'm with you there. Uh, my number one is the Neon Demon with yeah, Jesse. Um, for the reasons that we discussed, movie that is a masterpiece. With a terrific performance. Okay. So, there we have it. My final score was two for Dakota, three for L. Mine was three for L and two for Dakota. No, oh. three for Dakota and two for L. So I there we have it. Yes. Five and five. Okay. So move yeah, on yeah. to the, the, the top five for next episode. Okay. I have, for, for new listeners or people that haven't listened uh, in a while, we have changed the format a little bit. We now pick up five movies in which I have reworded the synopsis ever so slightly, and I give Brian these. He eliminates them one by one, left with a movie that will be the movie we watch next month. Now, Brian, 
when I was doing these, I discovered that most of these movies are from 1970s. Oh, and it's okay. movies that I just I went to my collection. I just went. I've not seen that in a while. Not seen that. That's when I want to check out, and this is what I ended up with. So, are you ready? Okay, go. A young student travels to a prestigious school. A young woman who appears to be fleeing from the school is gruesomely murdered. Meanwhile, the young student who is trying to settle hears strange noises and is troubled by a bizarre occurrence. She eventually discovers that the school is merely a front for a much more sinister organisation. Number two, a shy teenage girl who is ruled over by a vicious paternal figure and covers a novel way to fight back. Number three, a photographer begins to have visions of a serial killer as he commits his crimes. She contacts the police and with the aid of a detective try to stop the killer. But first, they have to figure out who the colour is. I, th- th- is that the, I think that's the eyes of um, L- Laura, Ma- Laura Ma- Veronica Mars? Laura, Laura Mars. <laughs> not the, not the TV show, yeah. Uh, I think that's the eyes of Laura Mars, if, if I'm... Well, let's move on to number four, Brian. You get no hints or tricks here. Yeah. Uh, a princess refuses to marry her fiancé, an adventurer, until her brother blesses the marriage. Unfortunately, her brother is stranded in a distant land. The adventurer must travel to the distant land, fighting every obstacle in his path. And number five, during the Depression era, a mysterious stranger befriends the promoter of illegal street fights and they travel to New Orleans to make money fighting in the streets. Okay, Brian. Okay, uh... (laughs) <laughs> um, what well, one of them sounded a bit like Krull, but I I think Krull was done in the eighties, so it's not going to be that one. I don't think. Um, it does have a. It does sound like it's got something of a fantasy element to it, though. Uh, man alive. Um, okay. Suffice to say, I've probably not seen any of these. I I've not seen the eyes of Laura Mars actually. Um, and it is a film that has intrigued me for some time. I, I, I mean, it might not even be that one, but uh, I don't know. Let's keep that on hold for a minute. Um, so much fun. I'm, 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 I'm a bit horrid out at the minute, mm. so let's get rid of number one because that sounds like a horror film. Okay, you have got rid of 1977's Suspiria. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's right, I've got no interest in uh, Argento. Um, yeah, it's, may, I don't know, maybe you could school me on it, but um, at, at the minute, no. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, read number two again. A shy teenage girl who is ruled over by a vicious paternal figure and covers a novel way to fight back. That sounds that sounds interesting to me. <laughs> um, in fact, that sounds more interesting to me than the possibility of Laura Mars. So get get rid of. Uh, get I rid think of Laura I Mars. think you have. If I have to pick a movie that you've seen here, you have definitely seen number two. 
think I've definitely seen it. Oh, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> Just bear that in mind. A paternal... I've really changed the synopsis in this one, Brian. It's a paternal figure, but not... Hmm. Oh, good grief. Um, get, re read number four and number five to me again. Come on. Okay. Number four. A princess refuses to marry her fiancé and adventurer until her brother blesses the marriage. Unfortunately, her brother is stranded in a distant land. The adventurer must travel there, fighting every obstacle in his path. And number Get five, rid of that one. Get rid of it. Get rid of you it. have got rid of 1977's Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Oh, yeah. I, I used to watch them a lot as a kid. I've no real interest in, 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 in going back. So, yeah. I'm, I'm so, happy to so get this, rid of that one. Okay, so this 4K uh, transfer, spare Blu-ray that I've got of that, you wouldn't be wanting it? Oh, of course, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is, it the one, is, is it the one with Jane Seymour? Yes. Oh. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, number five was During the Depression Era, a mysterious stranger befriends the promoter of illegal street fights and they travel to New Orleans to make money fighting on the streets. Ah, oh, this is this is hard. This is this is the hardest one because usually I've got some idea as to what these films are. Mm. Um, so I've I've got one that I'm pretty sure I know what it is. I've got one that you're pretty sure I know what it is. Th there's and no I've... doubt that you haven't seen this movie. I I'd be shocked if you told me you hadn't seen it. I'd be right. shocked if you told me you hadn't seen it multiple times. And then we've got one that sounds like something Scorsese would do, but I don't know. Um, get rid of number five. Get rid of number five. Okay, you have got rid of Hard Times, also known as Street Fighter, which starred Charles Bronson and James Coburn. came out in 1975. Okay. Not much of a Charles Bronson fan, so I'm glad to get rid of that one. Regarded yeah, I, as one of his good ones, I think. Okay. On, honestly, the, 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 the two that are left, they're, they're definitely ones that intrigue me. I have always wanted to see the one that I think is Laura Mars, uh, but I could be completely barking up the wrong tree. Um, You, you you think I've definitely seen the other one, so <laughs> let's let's try. I like I like going with films that that we've not seen before. At, le at least one of us have not seen. So mm. yeah, get. I feel like I'm going to regret this, but get rid of number two. Okay. You have got rid of 1976. Carrie. Ah right. Okay. So if, if you'd have said maternal figure. Then I, I, they gave it away. <laughs> That's yeah, why I yeah. said I really played fast and loose with the synopsis in that one because every synopsis was just gave the plot away. And you have chosen right. 1978's The Eyes of Laura Mars. Okay, right. I, I'm, written, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. Written with that. by John Carpenter, 
directed oh, by Irvin okay. Kushner. Wow. The All man right. who did Empire. Mm. So, yeah. And, and that um, other classic, uh, James Bond film starring Sean Connery, Never Say Never Again. Oh, I thought we were going to see Robocop 2. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's the next one. See, I, I, it's been so long since I saw it, it's practically going to be a first watch, I think, for me. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into that movie. Okay. Yeah, so pretty good. Are you happy with that, Brian? Uh, I'm good with that, yeah. I think we can sign off there. Yeah, well, top five. Top five. Top five. Now, I actually had top fives for all of these movies because I didn't want to end up with a fanning situation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, it's top five John Carpenter movies. No. No, it's top five serial killer movies, Bray. <laughs> I was going to say, how many times can we do a top five John Carpenter? <laughs> okay, uh, right. Um, that should yeah, give us five. lots all of right. options. That, that gives us a serious amount of options. I already know what my top two are, but yeah, let's, let's, let's go. All right. Okay, so next month is Eyes of Laura Mars with the top five serial killers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month on Brits on Flicks.